0: Ladies and gentlemen, for one of the best sports podcasts in the business, subscribe
1: on YouTube to Shaky Sports Journeys. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Life on the Ground with your host, Gasm Shake. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, special guest today, fellow Glaswegian, um, same age as me, we, we we grew up a little bit together in childhood. A welcome to the podcast, Mr Hamza Yusuf of the SNP. How are you, sir?
0: Well, thank you very much for your welcome. I, actually, I can't believe we're the same age because uh, you are clearly not aged. Well, I have uh, the receding hairline, the expanding waistline, grey hairs. Uh, but uh, you look far younger than me, so it must be politics. Uh, listen, listen. Really I didn't age look. Age.
1: This, this was after a visit to the first time to the... The barbers in a while yesterday so yeah. i wasn't looking like this uh-huh. yesterday if i'd been on yesterday i'm sure you would have looked i would you would have looked uh-huh. younger than me so um i'm sure you, you you're still you know no, you're still looking you're still looking smart brother and um, what i want to do with you today is i want to get to know you a little bit you know we see the Hamza Yusuf, um in the parliament and in front of the cameras and talking and being very very serious i would say today i want to get to know you a little bit more and you know let people see You know, what kind of person you are and what you think of the things you're into, your background, etc. So what I want to start by doing is taking you all the way back, Mm. born and bred, Glasgow boy, I believe. Um, Tell me about your background, a bit about your family and a bit about your childhood, please.
0: Yeah, no, happy to do so. Um, uh, I suppose I I feel like I'm less serious because I'm in my civvies, you know. It's nice to be at home actually sometimes as opposed to out in the campaign uh true we're not allowed out to campaign and today when we're recording this it's uh the day of the, the 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 funeral of the Duke. um yeah childhoods uh yeah you're right uh, born raised educated uh, in glasgow and lucky to represent glasgow pollock uh as well and hope to be re-elected to, to, to represent but you know my childhood I'm, I'm really pleased was a great one it was a wonderful one you know all praise to god it was just um none of the challenges that my father had so my father was uh an immigrant that came to the country or my grandfather came to the country uh, grandfather came from northern India, the P- northern Punjab of India, a place called uh, Patankot. Uh, my mum, born in Kenya, but you know, of Pakistani origin, uh, also came over. Both of them came in the 1960s, um, where both my grandparents, maternal and paternal, came over in the 1960s. And, and their life, you know, like most immigrants, markedly difficult. You know, a country that they didn't know the language, they often didn't come with much money at all. They often had the burden of having to provide for the family back home, as it was, uh, and, and and quite a racialized society at the time, you know, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish, all that kind of time in the 60s, 70s, 80s. So really, really difficult time, but I had um, none of those challenges, you know, I was brought up, of course I had racism, I'm sure we'll, we'll touch upon on some of that, but generally speaking, you know, I grew up... Um, Got two sisters, mum and dad. We were in uh, Pollock Shields in the beginning, which is a very multicultural part of Glasgow, which probably most of your, your listeners know. But then quickly, parents moved out to the suburbs and uh, grew, grew up in Newton Merns and in, in quite leafy suburbs. And uh, as I say, for me, you know, I, I've got such happy memories uh, of, of, of my childhood. So I'm really thankful for their efforts, for all that they gave me, for all the struggle that they had Gave me what I would say was an extraordinarily comfortable life growing up.
1: What kind of things were you into? What kind of interests did you have? What were your hobbies as a kid? So, uh, just remind me, Garson, Is this, this is this audio only, or is it also visual? This is visual, my friend. So, so your lovely face. If I turn, if I right.
0: turn the camera around, okay, uh, your viewers can see that. That's ah, in front I had of a me. feeling. I had so a feeling you might, that,
1: uh, you <laughs> might mention you might mention Glasgow Celtic. That's but that's but, my but, European but I wouldn't terms. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be branding that around too
0: much this season. <laughs> You're right. And I know I know your loyalty, so uh that's true actually. I maybe I should be careful. But that's my European Cup winners 1967 jersey that I was given. Oh nice, year. nice. Now the reason that I show you that is because, you know, I mean football was what I loved. Watching it, playing it. I mean I wasn't particularly good at it right enough, but watching it, playing it at all hours of the day. I mean I, especially as I as I grew up, you know, I was in kind of late teens. Uh, into university, he must have played three or four times a week, easily day after day after day. Um, so love that. I'm talking fives, fives, Five, fives, sevens. Fives. Sometimes elevens as well, but um, not particularly great elevens. So that career uh, didn't go very far at all. Mm-hmm. But but certainly fives and sevens quite a fair bit. And uh, and 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 then yeah, not 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 intensely political until, truthfully speaking, what was often described at the time as the day that changed the world. I mean, 9-11 completely changed my world uh, and I suspect changed a lot of people's world. Um, you know, I'm thousands of miles, of course, away from where that terrible tragedy uh, took place. But I was 16 years old uh, at the time it took place and I remember the day very vividly. And I think for me, you know, it just changed my entire world because I went from a boy who enjoyed football, you know, talking about all the things that teenage boys talk about with, with their mates. to remember very vividly the next day. I think, about, I think if my memory says me correct, 9-11 was on a Tuesday, went to school on the Wednesday morning, and some of my closest friends were just quizzing me, not in a malicious way, but just quizzing me on things that I had no idea about as a six year old Like, you know, why why, why do Muslims say America? Well, who's, who's the Taliban? Oh, I don't have a clue. Taliban, Tal- You know, I mean, uh, you know, so, yeah, no, uh, very much into all the things that you'd imagine a, a, a kind of normal Glasgow, you know, Boy, teenage boy would have been into, but but that to me was a pivotal moment. Probably, my life, uh, frankly, frankly
1: changed. Were you quite intelligent? Always at school, were you? You mentioned there, obviously, that you know, up till the age of sixteen, you were not going to perhaps go down the the route of mm. politics. But prior to that, were you a, were you a smart kid at school? What other aspirations did you maybe have? To what other routes did you maybe think about?
0: Yeah, both my sisters were and are definitely smarter than me. Uh, I mean, I was, you know, I, I did fine, I did well in my, my, my hires, a couple of A's, a couple of B's, uh, that kind of thing. So so I was gonna, you know, did, did, did well, but I had to work hard at it. Like, one of my sisters, my younger sister, I mean, it feels like she just floats into the exam and she gets all A's mm-hmm. uh, and A pluses and A stars and all that kind of stuff, whereas I... I mean, I had to work really, really hard at it. But, you know, uh, I, I did work hard and my parents uh, supported that. But no, I, I, I was not particularly great at science subjects. And to be honest, when you're a young Asian male, or a young Asian well, male or female actually growing up, uh, certainly when we were growing up, Garsom, your parents wanted you to either be a doctor, dentist, lawyer, accountant or pharmacist. That's it. You had never any hope of that happening with me. <laughs> I, think it was
1: a, I think it was a wish from my parents, but yeah. You were even you're better. Right.
0: You could have been a cricketer, my God! That's like the golden, you know, that's the, thats a golden uh, achievement. And my goodness, that you managed to achieve, especially after the the famous uh, Pakistan Cup victory in what was it, ninety
1: two? Ninety two. That that was a big when you. That's a big. That was a big one for us all, wasn't it? That was that, was, uh, that just made the cricket frenzy go crazy. Imran Khan leading Pakistan. Well, I, I mean, it was it was crazy over here. I think
0: if you ask any kind of person of Scottish Pakistani origin, where were you? When Pakistan won the World Cup in 92, everybody will remember, doesn't matter what age you were. So no, I, I I wanted to be a lawyer, um, which is not, not supposed too unusual in just justice secretary, but I really wanted to be a lawyer. Um, but then 9-11 happened and I got really interested in politics, as I say, because I thought to myself, when I was getting asked all these questions, well, I may as well read up on what the heck's going on. And I started to get really into it. And I studied modern studies at school and got and, you know, I did really well in it. But I remember it's probably the scariest conversation I had with my parents was, you remember the UCAS form you had to fill out in school? Yeah. I think you got five options, if I remember correctly. I think four of them I filled out law. And the last one I snuck in politics in Glasgow Uni. And I got the, I got the UCAS form back and I got into both law and politics. So I thought, you know, I had a choice to make. You know, do I do law or do I do politics? And I said to myself, you know what, I really enjoy politics. And, and you know, law, okay, I, I think I might enjoy it, but I enjoy politics more at the moment. and I think I can make a difference in it. And I remember the scariest conversation. I was so nervous. I would say I was like shaking, taking my paper to my parents. because I thought they want me to be a lawyer. There's no way I'm going to get away with saying to them, I want to do politics. I'm going to get, I'm going to get what you and I would call the chuckle, right? The slipper, you know, I'm going to get one of those. Uh, But I told my mom and dad, but but I I couldn't be more wrong. You know, when I I spoke to my mom and dad about it, my dad, especially. uh, Mom and dad were really supportive, but dad, you know, dad had been political you know, for all his days. Uh, Again, not frontline politics, but interested in it. And he was saying, no, we need more people, you know, of our persuasion, our colour, our background, our faith involved in politics. And Mum as well. I mean, she was a bit more worried. She was a bit more, kind of, what kind of job are you going to get? Uh, And even now, I can remind her, yeah, I did all right. So, uh, but Mum and Dad are both both really supportive. And, yeah, studied politics and and, and just got more and more into it from there. Glasgow Uni then? Glasgow Uni, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry to say I'm one of those ones. But no, I loved it.
1: I mean, so what what year did what, what age were you when you started? Did you go straight from straight from high school straight into uni?
0: Yeah, yeah, straight straight away. So started uni in two thousand and three. Um, didn't get involved in party politics. Actually, got more involved because it's two thousand and three. I got more 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 involved in anti war politics. So I kind of it was deeply involved in in, in the anti war movement. Um, we obviously had the invasion of Afghanistan but two thousand and three. We had the invasion of Iraq, and uh, I always joke with the police because. Um, it's probably the closest I've ever come to being arrested. It was uh, when we were protesting against the Iraq War, and we, we we sat ourselves down and to block off the motorway entrance at Charing Cross. Again, if you know Glasgow's West End, and uh, okay. obviously police police had to move us. And uh, luckily, I was too quick for the copper, but um, you know, uh, I got I got off and 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 stopped that sit down protest. It didn't last more than five minutes. Um, but yeah, I got more I got really involved in kind of anti war politics. I think SNP politics came a bit, bit later on for me.
1: So you obviously had a passion to, to make change. You know, that was something that was, that was very, very important for you. I want to touch on how I know you, actually. So we're both Muslims. Yeah. We're both uh, currently fasting at the moment as well. We had a little blether about that before we came on. Um, I actually know you, Hamza, from uh, around early teenager years, where I used to come to your house for a, like a religious class. And uh, where we would sit down, we had a teacher that came and we would teach us a little bit about um more about our history and our religion and whatnot um but i had no idea at that point that you know you were destined to go on and it's interesting to hear now what you're saying that up until the age of 16 it wasn't really a route that you were considering going when you say law what type of law were you going to, was it was what type of law were you interested in human rights
0: yeah human rights back one
1: yeah you would have been another amarran more then so it's better that but you went that's... down the, it's better that you went down the political route i think I definitely,
0: um, I definitely would have charged as much as Amor but yeah <laughs>
1: Um, so, Glasgow Uni, great time of life, I'd imagine. Made, made a lot of friends, involved in something that you were really passionate about. Um, did you just take to it quite naturally? Did you know, is it something that came to you quite natural? I mean, I,
0: I loved uni. It was, it was you know, I was, I was always a gobby kid, you know, always had something to say back and answer back. And, you know, even at school, I was told off for being too cheeky and, you know, answering the teachers back. But when I thought, actually, I'm, I'm not answering back, I'm, I'm trying to make a point. Um, so so, I took to politics classes, really enjoyed it, probably hogged most of the tutorials, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I really, really enjoyed that time. And then, you know, you talked about our younger days when we knew each other. Um, you know, those classes... because I mean, the first wave of immigrants that came here, you know, again, in the 60s and 70s, I mean, they built the infrastructure. You and I will take mosques for granted, won't we? We'll take halal butchers for granted you know, we we can go a, a, into any street corner and, and pick up probably a halal meal in Glasgow relatively easily. But actually, our parents were the ones who did the graft of making all the infrastructure. And I have to say, um, from my perspective, I often think back, what is it I'm doing for, for, for my kids to make sure that they can be comfortable being in Scotland, being a Muslim, being proud of their faith, being proud of their culture, um, and there's not a conflict between the two. And it's just when you mentioned that, that kind of uh, when you used to come round to the house, you know, there's so many people now that because we had that upbringing, you yourself included here, have now done phenomenally well for themselves. And uh, I just hope we never ever forget that kind of debt that we owe, owe that generation before us, parents, grandparents
1: as well. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, my father is the same, had it a lot tougher than I did. Yeah. Uh, we have no right really ever to complain because we we, we were kind of silver spoon a little bit more compared to what the the struggles they went through. Um, So you graduate from university. What year would that have been? 2007.
0: I remember it very well, because uh, so 2007, um, my final exam, politics exam, I think it was US government and politics, my final exam I had was on polling day 2007. And if you cast your memory back, that was the first election that the SNP ever won in the Scottish Parliament 2007. So we were, so I stayed up all morning at that time, there was a drink. I don't know if it's still available right enough. It was a drink called Iron Brew 32, It was an energy drink. You know, I had a couple of those, scrammed in the morning, went to my exam. I had two exams that day, and, and basically from 10 in the morning to I mean roughly speaking, three, four in the afternoon. Sat those exams, went straight from the exam hall onto a polling station and Nicola Sturgeon's patch in the Glasgow South Side. Went into a polling station. For a polling station, I was there from maybe five, six till, till polling closed, till you know, nine, half, nine. The polls closed at ten. Went straight to the count. I remember it was in the SECC at the time. And the euphoria as the SNP, the results started to come in. We won that election by one seat. One wow. seat. It was so tight. Um, and there was a big problem back then with the electronic voting. It was the first time it was used. Anyway, you know, and, and I remember the euphoria and... I was so lucky because I went from, I mean, honestly, I'm so blessed when I think about it because I went from literally my final exam, hadn't even graduated yet, my final exam to the SNP winning an election the same day or the day after when the results came in to being offered a job on the Monday, you know, and I thought, my God, like I'm the luckiest guy that's ever lived and and that's why I count my blessings because so many doors have been opened for me. And I just hope that you know. Always stay grateful for it. You never take these things for granted. But no, for ph- not phenomenal. How lucky! <laughs> I'm the boy that got lucky really, and and, and, uh, and I'll never forget that.
1: Well, I think luck is luck. Luck's you always need a bit of luck, but I think hard work, dedication was always was part of that as well. Listening to you coming through, you were clearly very passionate about it. I mean, you decided to try and block off a motorway once, so that <laughs> tells us everything we need to know, Hamza, about what you were, where you were destined, what, what route you were wanting to go. Um, so. Pretty much from day one, then your uh, your your senior was uh, would would have been would have been first minister Nicola Sturgeon. So I worked I worked for her. Uh, well, no, I don't
0: work for her initially. I worked for late Bashir Ahmed, but she was the one who really mentored me uh, a fair bit. She she was the one that took me out and said um, after the election results said, well, interesting. I don't i spoken about this, but, but she offered me the job and initially. Actually, I turned it down. It was to okay. work. With- Bashir Ahmed, it was nothing to do with the late Bashir Ahmed. I loved him, he was great and, and, and a wonderful man. But I had another kind of job offer that I was I was thinking about that was overseas potentially. And uh, you know, I thought to myself, maybe I'll I'd like to try my hand at being overseas and then coming back to politics here. year. But then Nicholas Sturgeon took me out, and I think the kebab shop is still there. She took me out for a kebab, chicken kebab at Lahore Kebab House on Albert Drive. I think it's still there.
1: Ah, yeah, I know, um, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. And, and she chatted to me over that and said, look, we really want you. We think, you're, you know, she was really kind and flattering. Uh, and we said, look, it's a, great, it's a great place for you to develop uh, as, as, as well. So I thought, look, I'm not going to say no. I mean, Nicola Sturgeon, he's asking me, so, you know, that's that done. So, so yeah, it just, just went for it. And, and the first person I worked for was, was the late Bashir Ahmed, the first ever uh, ethnic minority member of the Scottish Parliament to ever be elected um and it was a great honor sadly he passed away halfway through his term, but a great honor being being by his side through, through really historic years for us
1: So, what was your kind of early challenges what what kind of early inroads did you make and what success did you have
0: you know i learned so much in those first couple of years Do you know the, be- the i always find that the best teacher is, is is the one where you don't even know you're being taught you know so i never really realized i was being taught by Bashir Ahmed uh, but I was, you know, through his character, through little bits and bobs that he would just do here and there uh, with me and, and and for me. He was just a wonderful man. Most of your listeners and viewers probably won't have seen much of him because his political career was only only a couple of years in the Scottish Parliament, but just the kindest, most gentle soul. Very different to the politics you see now, and I'm guilty of this, you know, we're very, we're very snashy with our politics. Sometimes we're quite aggressive with our politics and, you know, it doesn't make for a good environment, whereas he was the... Absolute antithesis of that, you know, he was just warm to everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a Tory or, I'll tell you one story, you've seen that 2007 election. Yep. There was a group there standing, there was a, a group of candidates that stood for the BNP, obviously the, the racist far-right British National Party. And, uh, you know, nobody was having anything to do with them. You know, they were standing in a corner by themselves. Obviously, the others, we all talk, though were political, different political parties, we all talk to each other and talk about the result and what's going on and all that kind of stuff. They were very much isolated in the corner. And I remember thinking to myself, it was like maybe midnight. I was thinking, where's Bashir gone? Where's Bashir gone? I was trying to look for him. Try to call him, couldn't get through to him on the phone. And I come, eventually he turns up and he's got a tray and he's got maybe 10, you know, those styrofoam cups of tea on them. And he goes over to the BMP guys and he goes and gives them tea. Just a gent, just a total gent. You know, he knew, he knew who they were and what they were. So I I learned a lot in those formative years, a lot in those formative years, more how to carry myself. Look, I'm not, I don't think I've lived up to to, to Bashir's legacy in terms of of, of how to conduct yourself, but you learn a lot. And I was lucky. I was surrounded by great people. You know, the current First Minister, I got to work with her uh, after Bashir's death. You know, even the former First Minister, um, you know, there's challenges, of course, uh, with him, but I was his parliamentary liaison officer. and, and, And you learn a lot working with people that are, you know, it can be tough and hard working for one of these people, but you learn, you know, um, certainly from 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 Nicola Sturgeon. I think I've probably learned more from her than than, than anybody else.
1: Something I really want to touch on. Now, we can laugh about it now, but at <laughs> the time, you know, I really did. I felt for you, man. I felt for you. And that was when you were Transport Minister.
0: Oh, when yeah. the big
1: When the big freeze struck. Oh, yeah. Talk to me about that a little bit, because, I mean, I've seen you in the news... I, you would see you on the morning, and by the evening, your tie was a bit <laughs> down here somewhere. Your face looked like you, you know, and everybody was piling into you. It was all Hamza Yusuf's fault that this big freeze has come and that everything's come to a standstill, and you were getting absolutely slated. <laughs> Talk to me about the pressure of that kind of time and what challenges you were facing during that.
0: Yeah, so look, minister, your life is, is definitely pressured, and transport minister is one of the most pressured jobs you can have. I, I remember before, I'll, I'll answer the question actually before I do that. I remember when I got appointed Transport Minister and again I don't think I really speak about this uh, very often. So you get a call from the First Minister saying look come to, to Butte House, her residence and you don't know what job you're going to get. You know, It's a bit of speculation but you never know what job you're going to get until you arrive and you hear from the First Minister. So all these other jobs had gone and there was only kind of a few left and they'd been announced and only a few left. So I go into the First Minister's drawing room in, in Butte House and she comes in, she kind of gives me a hug and she I say, how you doing? She said, all right, all right. She goes, um, so look, the job I'm about to give you, this is her exact words. She goes, the jo- <laughs> she goes, the job I'm about to give you, I'm about to give you it, and it's not because I don't like you. <laughs> what job could it be that you're just about to give me and say to me, it's, don't worry, it's not because I don't like you. And then she goes, we'll give you transport, job, uh, transport minister. And I won't lie, there was a couple of expletives. And profanity I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't repeat them on your programme uh, for me um, and that wasn't because I wasn't going to enjoy the job and I thoroughly enjoyed transport being a transport minister it was just because as you say if there's a train that breaks down at Russia it's the transport minister's fault if there's ice in the road it's the transport minister's fault you name it you know if the transport minister's not there putting the grit in the road then you're gonna hear about it you know sure. so that it was a tough job so the beast from the east was I mean that for me was probably one of the most formative Experiences of my life, in the sense that you know that intense pressure, and I think for me, what I was really keen to do at that time was to say, "Look, I'm just going to make sure I'm visible." Like you say, from the morning, the moment people wake up to the moment they go to bed, I want them to see me, tell them that they should be travelling, because that was the main message at the time. It was a red warning, it ended up being a red warning, weather warning, and they, you know, and, and we're in this control room in Queensferry Crossing. It's got dozens of television screens that show us all parts of the motorway network and i'm telling people not to travel and then i see a next home and an ikea van go past i'm going again i'm swearing my head off picking up the phone to take my officials get on ikea you know businesses and tell them what the hell are they you know and and, and so my job was just to make sure that i was there telling people 24 7 do not travel don't take a risk da, 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 da. you know if your employer let people go home early um, and, and, and and you know what, for all, all the criticism that I might have got at the time, the amount of people that wrote in, and I, again, I can't repeat this on your programme fully, but I got one guy, I remember, he emailed me in, no, he, t- he tweeted me actually, probably still got the tweet, and he says, you know, um, I still think you're a C-U-N-T, that's what he said, I still think you're a CNT but you did pretty decent on that job uh, on the transport. I thought." From a Glaswegian perspective, that's probably as good a compliment as you
1: as you can get. That is so definitely, definitely as good a compliment. It was a heck of an
0: experience. Put it that way.
1: You done well. You done well. I just looking back now, it does make me chuckle a wee bit because you are poor guy, you were a, you really were <laughs> taking taking the blows, but you like you said, you were very visible, and that's the that's the main thing. Why did you Why did you ultimately join the SMP? What's your main reasons for joining the SMP? I, I remember it very
0: well. I remember the exact
1: moment. In fact, I could probably
0: tell you when I, when I thought I'm going to join. So my dad was actually the SNP from from the 1970s. He was actually the first member of the Asian community in Glasgow to ever join the SNP. All right, okay. Yeah, he, he just believed in it, but he never forced it on us. You know, he just my my mum was Labour until until probably the, the Iraq War. And same, I know. Probably just before yeah. that, uh, maybe maybe she, I think she fell out of love with Tony Blair slightly before that. But you know she was Labour like most folk, and then and then and then fell out of love. But Dad never never forced it upon us. But I remember the exact moment for me was was a protest that took place down in in London. We were protesting against the Iraq War, and we were going past the Houses of Parliament. There was a massive demonstration, I like think well over a million people at this demonstration, anti-war demonstration. And when we went past the House of Commons, that was just a light bulb went off. I thought to myself, most of Scotland is against the Iraq war. They you know, had all these polls coming out, people saying that we should be involved in the invasion. Yet our sons and daughters are being sent away to fight in this war. And many of them, unfortunately, coming back in body bags, coffins. And yet I have to go down to London to protest against it, because that's where the decision is made. I have to travel 450, 500 miles. to I mean, That can't be right. Surely if the country I belong to doesn't want to go to war, we shouldn't go to war. Our sons and daughters shouldn't have to give their lives up for a war we don't agree with. And that was it for me. I was just, I think I filled out a membership form you know, that day and that night and just like, no, I'm joining. Because, you know, for me, it's got to be independence. And the only party that was advocating independence at that time was,
1: was, uh, was the SNP. Well, that was going to be my next question. You know, we've just gone through Brexit, yeah. which I feel personally, in my own opinion, was a very racially fueled campaign um and one that i don't feel nice to be part of and the question i guess i have is you know you've got two main opposition parties tories and labor um tories i think it's all it's it's pretty obvious what 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 they kind of what they stand for and what what they have pushed forward and brexit brexit's been the main main thing that they've achieved which i think so far has been a bit of a Bit of a disaster, and then you've got Labour, who I think are still trying to pull people back from what happened with Iraq and convince yeah. convinced the, convinced the, the public that you know we are nice, we're nice now, and we're not we're not wanting to do any of that stuff anymore. Um, and then you've got the SNP, who I think have grown in popularity significantly over the last couple of years. Why though is independence so important?
0: Do you know. It's just fascinating that we're having this discussion at the moment. A matter of days ago, no, it was yesterday, I'm losing my days here, it was yesterday. There was a poll that was out in the Times and it showed that the Conservatives in England uh, had a 14 point lead over the Tories, 14 point lead. So if there was an election tomorrow, they would have a majority, the Tories of 102, so a massive majority. And to me, that is just one demonstration. Of why we need to be independent. So for most of my adult life, so I'm 36 years old. No, forget most of my adult life. For most of my life, full stop. I've had Tory governments. Scotland has had Tory governments rule over us that we didn't vote for. So Scotland didn't vote Tories. In fact, some of those elections, <clears throat> you know, we voted, you know, almost you know 90 of our seats were either Labour or, as currently stand, most of our seats are SNP seats. But yet we've got a UK government. You know, UK government Tory. A you know, Tory government that is bringing forward policies that are harming really the poorest in our society, from the rape clause to the bedroom tax to universal credit. I see it all the time. I see it in my constituency. I suspect every MSP it doesn't matter whether you represent, you know, uh, Selkirk, Stirling, or Shetlands. You know, you see the poverty uh, in your community, and that's coming from the austerity of a government that we never voted for. And that, to me, is it. If I was to boil it down into a sentence. I would just say, look, surely all the decisions about Scotland should be made by the people of Scotland. Full stop. doesn't matter if you came here a year ago, 10 years ago, 25 generations ago, it's your your country, your home. You've got a vested interest in it because your family's here, your children are going to school here, you're working here, you're studying here. So ultimately, surely all of the decisions, whether it's about health education, which of course are currently devolved, or whether it's about foreign affairs, defence, the you know, financial economy, uh, you know, financial levers, uh, taxation, social security, these things should be decided by the people who live here. And that to me is the simplest argument.
1: So here's what a, an SMP voter kind of things that you'll face. Um, they're going to ruin this country. They're going to drive this country into the ground. Um, it's going to be an economic disaster. Um, you're mad, you're nuts to vote for SNP. Um, this is just a game of independence for them. You know, think about the future, think about your kids. Now, I am pretty clear cut that I don't want the Tories to be deciding the future of my, my children and future of my grandchildren and, what, and whatnot. But when people get this said to them, it must cast a little bit of doubt because it's the fear of the unknown. You know what will happen. You know, is it going to be like we voted Brexit, and how many people now are saying they voted for Brexit? I've been interviewed on TV and on radio and whatnot, and are like, oh, if I had the chance again, I wouldn't have voted Brexit. So I think the, there's a fear there, probably for the the people of, of voting towards an independence of just the, the fear of the unknown. What do you, what do you, how how do you how do we respond to those people, Hamza, that say that to us? Well, a couple of things. First,
0: I'd say. You know, I've heard all of that and, and, and obviously a lot worse. But I have to say now, it's very interesting that a lot of the, and I would call them lies that were told in 2014 against independence, are just crumbling away. So people would say, look, the only way to guarantee your EU membership was to vote no to independence. Now look what's happened. People said, and the head of the Better Together campaign, the pro-union campaign in 2014, said, Boris Johnson will never be Prime Minister of the UK. That's just fantasy stuff from the SNP. Boris Johnson's Prime Minister of the UK. So, you know, I think one by one people now can kind of see through a lot of the lies that were told. On, 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 on the unknown, and Scotland's such a small country and it's too poor and too weak and all that kind of stuff. I always say to folk, look, just look at the facts. See, if you look at the ten wealthiest countries in the OECD, seven of them are either Scotland size, or similar to Scotland size, or smaller. Some of the most successful countries in the world are our smaller, European nations that are in Scandinavia, for example, got a population similar to Scotland's. So why is it that every other country that is our size, that is in Europe, can thrive, be wealthy, can stand on their own two feet? Don't get me wrong, they'll have challenges. You name me one country that doesn't have a challenge. You try to tell me the United Kingdom doesn't have any challenges. I mean, of course we'll have challenges. But why can a country like Scotland, that has, yes, oil reserves, that has some of the best universities in the world, has food and drink exports that are worth billions of pounds a year from salmon to whiskey and everything in between, that has some of the best research and development in Europe, if not probably the world. Why can a country with our, in our tourism, our tourism sectors huge, whether it's people coming here for golf or the highlands or, 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 or city breaks, you know, Glasgow attracts some of the biggest conferences in the world, we've got COP26 coming, uh, this year to, 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 to Glasgow the climate change conference. Why is it that we think every other country that doesn't have half of those resources can do okay, but somehow Scotland would be a complete basket case. I just don't buy it. I also don't sell people a lie. I don't say to people, look, it's going to be a land of milk and honey. You know, manna will be falling from the sky. You know, it'll be great. It'll be, you know, of course, we'll have challenges, but at least we'll have all the levers in our own hands, all the financial levers, taxation levers, social security levers, health education, which obviously are currently devolved, have all the levers to adjust to those challenges and to take on those challenges. They would be in our hands, not in a government that's 450 miles away, that frankly, let's be honest, Scotland is an afterthought at the best of times.
1: Good answer, Hamza, I think. Um, Okay, so I've got some questions that have actually been given to me from some people um, who are keen for me to ask you these questions. So, the first question I have is, the education policy. I've been asked to ask you, would Hamza Yusuf send his kids to a public school, being a private school boy himself, and the SNP have been criticised in the past for public schooling? Do you have enough confidence with your own kids going to public school? So so my stepdaughter goes
0: to public school. So uh, they already go to public school? Uh, my, my 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 youngest is too young for schooling at the moment, but when she goes to school, it'll very much uh, be a public school. There'll just be no 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 doubt about it. Uh, so the answer to the question is yes, but you know, judge, judge me by my deeds. I mean, my stepdaughter who who's largely uh, you know in, in 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 our care during the week uh, when it comes to our schooling. Um, yeah, she's very much at public school. So for me uh, I don't hide away from the fact that I went to private school. It's open. It's you know any, any, anybody can see that. I'm thankful for, to my parents for the opportunity. You know I know why they did it. It's not not unusual again for 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 the kind of first wave of immigrants to often want to try to to get what they would think is 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 is, is the best education for their kids. And and for them, private school was something that was completely unattainable when they were younger. Um, but you know if they have the wealth to do it, then they'll do it. But for me, you know I just wouldn't do it. Uh, I, I, I've got one. I've got absolute faith in in, in our schools here in, in Scotland. I think they do a phenomenal job. Our teachers are brilliant. Um, you know, we're making great progress uh, when it comes to closing the attainment gap. There's still challenges, of course. There is nobody doubts that, particularly over the last year. Um, but uh, no, I've got I've, I've got every faith. A personal choice for me would be, yeah, not not to send my children to to to, to private school.
1: Okay. Alex Salmon's new party. Is it a legitimate threat? Do you see yourself working with them in future? Nicholas Sturgeon hasn't ruled it out, or was that taken out of context?
0: So well, what Nicholas Sturgeon said, and I, I, I agree with it. Is look, Alex Salmon's been cleared of any uh, criminal conduct? No, 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 no doubt about that. And, and you know he has been cleared by a, a, a jury of his peers. But of course, during that trial and, and, and through some of what he's told Nicola Sturgeon, he clearly engaged in you know, inappropriate behaviour with women. No, no, no two ways about it, not criminal, but clearly inappropriate. And um, you know, Nicola Sturgeon simply said that, you know, he should really apologise for that. And if he apologises for that, then you know, that is the first step to, to, to seeing somebody is, is remorseful for their actions. To be honest, I'd rather not rely on any party. Uh, you know, I've got, I, I want to be able to stand on a mandate and hopefully get a majority from that mandate to then push that mandate forward. So that's why you know, we're being relentless in telling and asking people, sorry, I should say, to, to, you know, if they want to see an SNP government, then you've got to cast both votes to the SNP. If you vote for Alaba or Greens or whoever else, well, you've got every right to do so, of course, as a democracy at the end of the day, that if you do that, then you're gaming the system. You're gambling on Scotland's future. There's one thing I know, and I know this for absolute certain, is that Boris Johnson's only really terrified of one thing. You know, he's terrified of a, of an SNP majority government, not SNP plus Alaba plus Greens plus this plus that. He's terrified of an SNP majority. So if we know that the best way to get that is voting SNP both votes, that worked in 2011, then people should do the same in 2021 and these elections coming up. That's, I suppose, the only, only, only strong argument I'd make.
1: Disaster that was Brexit and leaving the European Union. How would you deal with it re- leaving the rest of the UK ju- due to the fact that a lot of our trade is done within the UK? Well,
0: it should be said, well, the EU market's what, seven times bigger than, 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 than the UK market, right enough. But look, uh, my, 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 my kind of answer to this one is when it comes to negotiating with the UK post-independence, you know, it's not about being intransigent. The problem with the hard Brexit, if you look, if you work your mind back to when Theresa May was Prime Minister, they had all these red lines. They were not going to cross. These are our red lines. We're going to make a hard Brexit. So remembering the country voted, I think was at 52% for Brexit. It's not an overwhelming mandate. It's a majority, but it's not overwhelming mandate. Instead of trying to get what you might describe as a reason, you know, uh, uh a softer Brexit, she went for the right extreme to try to appease the the right wing of the Tory party, went for a really really hard Brexit. For me when it came to independence negotiations the first thing I would do is make sure that we consulted and worked with even those people that voted no and with other political parties that supported staying in the union because you know what we're now all team Scotland right the results happened. let's now work together to get the best deal for Scotland. The type of independent Scotland that we want to see and let's be pragmatic and sensible about it. And ultimately pragmatism works out. It's in nobody's self-interest. Let's take one example. Let's take one of the most contentious issues, You know, a border between the two countries. It would be in nobody's interest whatsoever for there to be checkpoints, for there to be a physical barrier, a physical border, You know, a, a, a physical barrier at the border between Scotland and England. In the same way, there's no, you know, no interest for anybody to have a border on the island of Ireland, between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. And ultimately, because it's nobody's interest, pragmatism works out. It happened between Northern Ireland and Ireland. OK, got there in the last minute, last, very last uh, minute of, of, of when the transition period ended. But ultimately, you know, you could drive between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland now and there would be no physical checkpoints, no physical hard barrier. And I think that's what ultimately is when it comes to independence, the pragmatism, and ultimately, the self-interest, economic, social self-interest, uh, ultimately would dictate. So we wouldn't go into independence negotiations demanding, you know, a hard, the equivalent of a hard Brexit. We would take a reasonable, pragmatic approach to how we would want
1: independence to look for an independent country in the future. What are the chances of rejoining the European Union? We've obviously, it was a very sad time. Um, First Minister Nicola Sturgeon obviously went over there. To, to better the relations the best you could. And, and it was a term used, leave a light on for Scotland. Um, what are the chances of that happening, do you think?
0: I think extraordinarily high. So I mean I, as I belong to a party that wants to rejoin the European Union. In fact, we're the only major party that, that now wants that. All the other parties have kind of given up uh, on that, but I would want us to rejoin uh, the EU. I just see so much benefit from travel to culture to, of course, the economic advantage of it as well. Um, but, We'd have to discuss that with the EU. I'm, I'm certain, having heard the very warm words that we've heard recently from very senior Europeans in the European Union, in the European Commission, in the European Parliament, all saying that they, you know, they could absolutely see an independent Scotland coming back in the future. I don't think there'd be major obstacles. It'd be a process probably to go through, but I don't think it would be the the the, the kind of long drawn out process that our opposition. Uh, claim because if you think about it, Scotland belonged to the EU for 40 years, you know, we fulfilled the criteria. Um, so, so in whose interest would it be for there to be a long, drawn out process for an independent Scotland to rejoin? Um, particularly when we've got so much resource uh, and, and, and that, that, that Europe would want to, to, of course, trade with us um, and we would want to trade with Europe. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would want us to, I'd absolutely love us to rejoin. Uh, you, uh, uh, for me independence is not about being insular it's about looking out,
1: being global being internationalist um, and that's the type of independence I want So what does an independent Scotland look like in your ideal scenario? What what will Scotland be like? What what, what will be the positives and what are the potential negatives? So The way I look at it is you know, I, think, I think about my daughters and
0: I think when they're older, because life gets more complex when you're older, right? You maybe got got rent payments to make, you got a job to find, you got a mortgage maybe to pay for, you know, you get pressures, maybe you get, you know, life throws out a curveball your way, you know, you maybe have to rely on the, the welfare state, maybe you become a carer because of some unfortunate circumstances. Maybe you yourself end up, unfortunately, with a disability because, again, of, of, Um, the circumstances uh, that befall you and and I think of, of my girls and I think when they're older facing some of these challenges you know I hope you know to goodness that they're they're protected from all of that but let's say they face those challenges when they're when they're grown up I want them to live in a country where the decisions about all of those matters are theirs that they know that when they put the x at the ballot box that the government ultimately that they as a country vote for would be the one that looks after their interests. And for me, that is the biggest benefit of independence, that we don't have to worry about a government 500 miles away that is so disconnected from us, that's taking the country in a completely different direction that we just didn't vote for. And ultimately, it means a country that I would hope would be progressive. I think we've demonstrated that in 14 years that we've been in government. I think we'd be a country that would be internationalist. I don't think we'd be countries that would just you know, be interventionist in our foreign policy. I think we'd want to be a good global citizen. That, you know, countries like New Zealand, for example, have shown that you can show leadership on many issues. I'd like us to show leadership on climate change, for example, internationally. We've got really good climate change. We've got the world-leading climate change, actually, targets that we're meeting, fulfilling, uh, and pursuing. So that is the kind of independence I see. Uh, I see a country that will have its challenges and never tell people, it's going to be a a, a country without any challenges. That's a lie, right? I'm not going to sell people a lie. But when those challenges come, we're at least going to have all of the tools in our toolbox to deal with those challenges. It's
1: been fun talking politics. I appreciate your honesty and all the questions you've answered. I want to finish by talking a bit about football. Yeah. Let's lighten it up a little bit. The Euros are coming. Yeah. Are we... um, are we going to get full crowds in at Hamden? I'm hearing positives. So maybe not, maybe not quite
0: full crowds. Uh by that point, but we definitely want to have crowds in there. We, we will touch wood if things keep to go, see, things keep going the same way they're going. We'll absolutely have crowds uh in, in in the stadium. Might have to be limited because you know we may still have social distancing, so people may still have to sit, you know, two metres apart, etc. etc. So you know, but we want the Tartan Army in there. I mean, they're our biggest asset. You know, they're the they're the they're they're the additional man or woman uh, on the on, on the field for us. So you know, and I love football, and I, I can you know vividly remember uh, that Serbia game. I imagine, like most of us uh, that are, uh, that most of your viewers that are, are watching and listening, um, I think I, my my foot is still sore for kicking the sofa, and Serbia scored in the 89th minute, right enough. <laughs> so so no, we definitely want crowds in there. Um, crowds will hopefully again touching with that things continue in the trajectory they're in. Crowd should be in for the Euros.
1: What are chances? What are you? What are you? What are you, what are you hopeful? Well, obviously for Scotland to, to get yeah. through the group. we are obviously going to win. What do you mean? Go through group. No, well, that's what the, all, that's what a lot of people are saying. It's written in the stars, really, isn't it? It's been so no, long. I... Been the tournament. You
0: know, obviously everyone's got to progress as far as they can, and this is. I mean, I'm, I'm not just saying this. but I mean, this is. If not the best, one of the best squads I've, I've seen in my life on this planet, for my 36 years uh, uh, you know, on this earth, this is one of the best. I mean, some of the players we've got that are playing for us at the highest level, not just the captain, I mean, he's phenomenal, of course, but that squad, some of them are playing at that oh, yeah, top level. In
1: Manchester United, all over the oh, place. Yeah, in the, in
0: the best leagues uh, in, in, in the world. So, you know, we should be really optimistic about how far Scotland uh, can go. Uh, absolutely but you know what even if we didn't get past the group stages i don't care i mean we need a lift we need that we need i mean the excitement of watching your team me and all my girls uh you know i'm a wife we've all got the scotland strips We're nice all ready to go you know um and i'm gonna love it i'm just gonna enjoy it and, and, and however far we get I,
1: I can't wait just to finish on i've not really touched on it but it's been very prevalent and very much a big issue and that has been racism in recent times we've just seen what's happened with um, Rangers football player Glenn Kamara um, being racially abused on the pitch the whole taking a knee thing is now starting to people are people are kind of suggesting it doesn't really have a it's not really making anything change social media is um, become a really nasty nasty place with I mean, you must get a lot of it. I mean, i seen a post that that Anwar did yesterday where some of the things that that were being said to him are just disgusting. If we we were to get in a situation of becoming independent, how much control can a government have over the social media platforms? Because one of the biggest things just now out there is, why you go to open anything out there, anything you go to get, you have to be able to give some sort of identification to prove who you are, prove your address, but with social media, you could, op- I could go today after I finish this podcast and, and open twenty different accounts, which I could talk whatever I want from them. Surely that's got to be the main target issue. Is is that something that the government could have an
0: influence on? Social media platforms definitely have to do more. Uh, they, they, you know, Twitter especially. I mean, Twitter for me is, a, is, is, frankly, a cesspit. Now I'm on it because, you know, it's a great way to communicate your message out to folk. And and actually, in the early days of Twitter, you'd actually have some good engagement even on very difficult issues, people would say to me, I really respect the fact that you took the time to, I don't agree with you, I like the fact that you reply back to me, so give them a kind of instant access to a politician that you wouldn't normally get. But it's now, excuse me, just become a cesspit. Any post I make on Twitter, I mean, I'm just met by, you know, a barrage of abuse. Some of it will be racial uh, and Islamophobic, some of it will just be abuse abuse. If I was walking down the street, I wouldn't let somebody just keep shouting abuse at me. I'd take some action, I'd go to police, I would you know tell to stop I would mean, you know there would be some sort of intervention that I could have to, to to stop that abuse but I mean I'm talking about every day there'll be hordes of messages come my way and I'm just one individual um you mentioned that Anwar he gets it terribly you know kamar roof Glenn Kamara you know, these guys have been getting abused and full solidarity to, to any player but you know full solidarity at the moment to Glennn uh, you know Glenn Kamara and, and, and kamar roof for for what they've had to face. Uh, in terms of their racism just disgusting the most vile, uh you know just the most vile hatred that anybody could face um so so yeah i i agree with your central point uh, the media the social media companies need to do more can governments do more to pressure them i mean i've certainly uh, i would be keen to meet with the social media companies and try to see what influence we can bring to bear but ultimately of course you know uh, we're limited uh, we could always look at legislation uh, at the same time i'll take your point about you know, anonymous accounts being opened up. The only thing I'd say to that is, you know, I do know one victim of domestic abuse, for example. And she said to me, there's no way I could go in my own name. And I had to go in anonymously and talk about my abuse. And that's, that's where I found support. People tell me you don't need to stick in this relationship. You know, whoever you are, there's support available for you. Here's Scottish Women's Aid, yada, yada, yada. And she said, I could never have done that if I had to give my real name real address, my partner would have found out, I would have been dead, you know, so so it's a really tough one, really really tough one, but there's definitely more that social media companies can do.
1: I agree, um, I hope that is something that gets taken seriously because I think for the, I worry more about the next generation, my kids growing up, etc, that they, that they face the kind of stuff that gets being branded around social media, um, but I think it is good that we have a lot more campaigns out there and people are doing their best to try and raise awareness and, and stop racism once for all. Hamza Yusuf, it's been a, been a pleasure, sir. It's been Thank a pleasure. Um, I think you've been very open and honest. You've answered all my questions. Um, not completely with your political hat on all the time, I felt. I felt it was a bit more of the person behind the politics, you know, that you were you were very honest, and, and I thoroughly appreciated that. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, I wish you all the very, very best with your campaign. Obviously, you're going to be back out knocking doors come... Monday morning. At least the weather's nice. You can't really complain. Um, best of luck with the rest of your uh, Ramadan. Um, uh We've got to, we're, today will be four down, twenty six to go after this. Um, and yeah, look forward to catching up with you at some point, um, not on the side of a screen, maybe in person when uh, when regulations and things are starting to maybe be lifted a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I look forward to. it. Thank you so much, and uh, great speaking to you. And all the best for Ramadan.
1: Thank you very much, brother.